Well, my children love the Narnia books, right? And uh, how many of you kids love the Narnia books? <laughs> Judy, thank you. Um, I remember I, I first read these books. Boy, Krissa, she just left. I think Krissa was probably like five, maybe. And uh, each night, uh, as I put her to bed, I just we'd take the book and we'd kind of lie down on the bed together and we'd, we'd open it up. We'd kind of read it like this together. And um, very fun time. We read through the whole thing. She got some CDs, listened through them all. It just teaches them great lessons. Um, a couple years ago, we read through the entire series uh, as our family did. Uh, and that was, that was wonderful. Well, I've started on my third time all the way through the book of my children with uh, my youngest two, Steffi and David. And we are working now on Prince Caspian, book number two. We're about a little less than halfway through. Uh, and and this, this Friday, I came to a scene that I just want to, to mention for you. It's, it's really a, a wonderful scene. Prince Caspian um, is the prince. He's the rightful king. But right now, his uncle is reigning because he was too young. And uh, the scene picks up when Caspian is in danger because King Miraz just had a son. And he certainly will be the one to be king. And king is going to try to kill Prince Caspian before the rightful king, him, can be the king. And so Dr. Cornelius woke him up in the middle of the night, knowing that the son had just been born and knowing that he's got to get out. So he packed him some food and uh, he packed him a, a little satchel and saddled his, his horse and then got him about to go. And, and just before he's about to leave... He hands something to him, which he could hardly feel, but he felt it to be a horn. So Dr. Cornelius has given this horn to, to um, Prince Caspian right before he flees. He says, this horn is the greatest and most sacred treasure of Narnia. Many treasure, terrors I endured, many spells did I utter to find it when I was still young. It is the magic horn of Queen Susan herself, which she left behind her when she vanished from Narnia at the end of the Golden Age. It is said that whoever blows it shall have strange help. No one can say how strange. It may have power to call Queen Lucy and King Edmund and Queen Susan and the High King Peter back from the past, and they will set all to rights. It may be that it will call up Aslan himself. So take it, King Caspian, but do not use it except at your greatest need. And now, haste, haste, haste. And he pressed him on. And as the story unfolds, of course, Caspian finds himself in trouble. He blows the horn. Aslan sends his help, the four, two kings and two queens, to Narnia. And they restore the kingdom to King Caspian where it, where it should be. But don't you wish ever that we had a horn like Susan's? That we could just blow, and when we blew it, help would come. Don't you wish you had a horn like that? Well, you know what? You have a horn like that. It's called prayer. Consider Deuteronomy 4, verse 7. What great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God whenever we call on Him? We call on the Lord and He's near to us. Or Psalm ninety-one fifteen. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him 
and honor Him. Or Acts 2.21 Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We have Susan's horn. We just need to blow the horn of prayer and help comes. Now, it might not come how you quite expect it. It might not come quite as fast as you expect it. But we have the promises that it will come. But, but I'm saying that even also we have something better than Susan's horn. For those who are walking rightly with the Lord and, and trusting Him and, and seeking to walk in His, His ways, we have something better. With Susan's horn, you need to blow it before the help comes. But with God, He is active long before we blow the horn. He helps us and guards us and keeps us and protects us and His people at all times. Even before we blow the horn. And that is the theme of our text today. God is our helper. God is our keeper. If you haven't done so already, I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 121. This, of course, is one of the songs of ascents that we have been working through here at Rock Valley Bible Church. Psalm 120, all the way through Psalm 134, the songs of ascents. There are 15 psalms that Israel would sing as they would go up to Jerusalem to worship three times a year according to the command of God in Exodus chapter 23. And they help prepare the hearts of the pilgrims for worship. And my hope and aim in going through each of 15 of these psalms is that God would prepare our hearts for worship as we meditate upon the great truths here in these psalms. Now, we're not taking them in order. As I said, this is kind of like uh, Israel's hymn book. And we didn't sing our hymns in order this morning. We didn't sing 132 and 133 and 134, 135, 136. No, we kind of go around. And so that's what we are doing. We're taking them week by week. I'm trying to find some reason that justifies one. And this week we land in Psalm 121. I call it a mountain psalm. Because you can see right there in verse 1, the mountains. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains from where shall my help come. Now the ESV there says hills, which is, which is okay because Jerusalem really wasn't an extremely high mountain. When we think of mountains, we think about like Pikes Peak. We think of Mount McKinley, right? And we think of these, these high mountains. It was, it was more hills, but it, but it definitely was a mountain. Next week, by the way, keeping this mountain theme, we're going to be in Psalm 125. Psalm 125, verse 2. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people from this time forth and forever. And so we're going to be looking at the mountain psalms. These next two. And then Father's Day will be in Psalm 128. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in His ways. Which is very appropriate for Father's Day. So there's our, our next um, few psalms. We've already looked at Psalm 120. We've seen Psalm 122, we saw Psalm 127 and 124, and so this is, I think, our fifth week, kind of charting the the path for it. It is appropriate, though, when you think about mountains, anything that happened this week at all, do you know about mountains that makes this especially appropriate for us to look at today? Mount Everest, anything about Mount Everest you know? Who knows? Huh? Oh, I didn't. I didn't know that. But that's that's good. <laughs> Jeff. Oh, you know that that happened too. But that's that's. Yeah, go ahead, Carl. Yeah. Do you know what anniversary? Sixtieth. Are you on your iPhone again? Sixtieth <laughs> no. anniversary of Sir Edmund Hillary. 
and uh, New Zealand and Tenzing Norgay of Nepal reached the top of the mountains 60 years ago this past week. So we're looking at the mountain psalms. So let's look to the mountains. Psalm 121, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains from where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. Now, over the years, I've spoken with people about this particular psalm. It's, it's a very cherished psalm by many. It's a little bit like Psalm 23, which is very cherished. Psalm 1, which is cherished. But this one particularly, for, for some reason, people like the verses 1 and 2. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord. In fact, even just this past Sunday, I, I was with an old friend and he asked me, what did you preach on this morning? Now, he doesn't come to our church. And I told him, I, I preached on Psalm 124. Had it not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say. Had it not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, they would have swallowed us alive when their anger was kindled against us. Right? So I just pressed, I'm telling, telling my friend, I just pressed people to say, if God hasn't been on our side, we'd have been destroyed. We'd have been sunk. And I said, and next week I'm preaching from Psalm 121. I'll lift up my eyes to the mountains. From when shall my help come? And, and his wife, who was standing right there, right next to him, said, oh, that's one of my, my favorite psalms. I just love that psalm about looking to the mountains and finding my help in the Lord. And over the years, I've heard that testimony on, on various occasions. It's a special psalm for many. It's a special song for our family. Um, this was years ago, probably 13, 15 years ago. Yvonne and I wrote a little tune to Psalm 121, which, which stuck. And our family has sung this song probably hundreds of times. Easy. I think maybe even pressing a thousand, actually. Um, several thousand, perhaps. Uh, at our kids' club, we sing this song almost every time because the kids want to do... They don't say Psalm 121. They say, can we do the running one, is what they say. And if, if you know what it's about, then you, you, you kind of get that. And um, I know that, how many of you know Psalm 121, this song? Some of you, all right, well, let's just sing it together just to show how Psalm 121 has caught its warp and woof in Rock Valley Bible. So if you know it, sing it with me. I don't want to be left up here alone. Okay, you ready? I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From when shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out 
and you're coming in from this time forth and forever. Psalm 121. Kind of works, kind of fits, kind of helps. And the kids, when the Lord will guard you going out, they take off and they run around the church building and they come back home. We did that with our kids for years and they ran around the house and they came back in. And our kids, there's something about that song that just has stuck and it's become very special for us. Well, it breaks down into, so it's a delight this morning to be preaching from it actually. I'm, I'm thrilled to preach from something I, I know well and have, have really internalized in my heart. The psalm breaks down into two sections. The first comes in verses 1 and 2, and the second in verses 3 through 8. You can see that a couple of different ways. First of all, you see the subject of the sentences in verses 1 and 2 are written in the first persons, right? The eyes and me's and my's. Look at there. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains from whence will my help come. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Verses 3 through 8 are written in the third person, right? In the other words, He and, and the Lord and the sun and the moon. Look at how verse 3 starts. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. It's just facts about God. He's our keeper. He's our shade on our right hand. Or the sun, the moon won't smite you. The Lord will guard our going out. So that there's a break there just in, in subject. But there's also an, another division can be seen in the key words. Two key words dominate the psalm, the words help and keep. Help is in verses 1 and 2. You can see it there, it appears, it appears twice. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains, from whence shall my help come? Verse 2, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. There, there's help in 1 and 2. And, and there's this keeping aspect in verses 3 through 8. The ESV does a great job here of, of translating this word consistently. The NAS translates it various different ways because this, this word for keep is very broad. And we'll see that later. But it's in verse 3. He who keeps you will not slumber. Verse 4. Behold, he who keeps Israel. Verse 5. The Lord's your keeper. Verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. And the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. So those two subjects, verse 1 and 2 and 3 through 8. The, the word, help. And keep, and so with these two words, I'm forming my outline this morning. God is your helper. God is your keeper. Let's look at my first point. God is your helper. Verses 1 and 2 come in the form of a question and answer. The question is verse 1. The answer is verse 2. So let's look at the question. Verse 1. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? Now, when the psalmist mentions mountains here, he's certainly referring to the mountainous region surrounding Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem is in the mountains. And any way that you go to Jerusalem, you go up to Jerusalem. Whether you head from the, east, from the east or west or north or south, you're always going up to Jerusalem. Kind of through the mountains and through the, the ragged hills. And how appropriate is it for us? Our sermon series title is Going Up. We are, are traveling up to the house of the Lord, to worship. It's what the song of ascent is all about. The ascent, going up. That's what it's about. And the mountain here was their destination. And, and, and it's, they're asking this question, they're asking it because they're, they're looking up. And, and how often did the settlers of the west coast of America, traveling the Oregon Trail, lift up their eyes to the mountains as they walked that path and headed west and beheld the Rockies? How often they did that? Every day. 
And even as they walked up those mountains, they saw that. And how often does the mountain climber stop and gaze upward upon his final destination? I'm not a mountain climber, but I think often. And so also these would-be worshippers, as they walked the hills leading to Jerusalem, they couldn't help but to set their gaze on that destination of where it is that they would go and worship the Lord. And lifting up their eyes, they would ask themselves a question. There's the mountains, right? Where does my help come from? You, You can sense some angst in the psalmist. You can detect some trouble. If you need help, it means you're in a weak position where you need someone to come and help. And maybe his trouble was physical. The walk up to Jerusalem wasn't so easy. In those days, you can drive to Jerusalem, but even driving to Jerusalem, it depends on which way you go, especially from Jericho, it's a steep climb. Jericho is several hundred feet below sea level. And so you're going up to 2,500 feet above sea level. That's about 3,000 feet. And I remember when we were in Israel and the bus was just in high gear, just trying to trying to get up that hill. Other places, not quite as steep, but still you're going up to 2,500 feet down from practically sea level, which is where most of Israel is. It's 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 a hike up. It's not for the faint of heart. And as the travelers were going to Jerusalem, hiking up the mountains, they were walking. They weren't riding. The sun bearing down on them, their throats were parched, their legs aching, fatigue setting in. They need to know, where does my help come from? And maybe just a simple physical expression was their trouble. But maybe it was even spiritual as well. You remember in Psalm 120, which is the one right previous to this, we found the psalmist away from God and away from his people. Verse 5, Woe is me, for I sojourn in Meshech. I dwell among the tents of Kedar too long as my soul had its dwelling with those who ate peace. And the psalmist here felt himself persecuted. He felt himself in a, in a pagan land, standing alone for peace. And in his trouble, he was crying to the Lord. Psalm 120, verse 1, In my trouble, I cried to the Lord and He answered me. So, so maybe there's a spiritual agony about being away from God. But now we're looking up to the mountains and where's my help come from? Because I need it because I've been traveling from... Kadesh, from Kedar and Meshech. Maybe his trouble is financial, like many of us, right? The, he was having difficulty making ends meet. The rain didn't fall last year and the crops were less than needed. Or a thief had come in the home and stolen some of the silverware and the jewelries and the, the wealth and some money. Maybe it was relational. Problems in marriage. Issues with children. A neighbor giving him fits, maybe. Maybe it was health-related He or a family member was sick, maybe. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe someone died, passed away, was dealing with grief, or maybe some kind of change was giving him anxiety for the future. Listen, but we we have no idea what kind of help he's looking for, asking here. And and that's exactly the point. This is a very general call and cry for help and can apply to all of our circumstances. Are you in need of help this morning? Physical? Spiritual? Emotional, financial, relational, health-wise? I mean, is, is there some concern? Here's a great question to ask, right? Where does my help come from? And I just say, where do you look for your help? The psalmist sets us on the right path in verse 2. It says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So catch this, when he's on his journey looking up to the mountains, he doesn't look to the mountains for his help. He looks beyond the mountains. 
to the one who made the mountains for his help. My help comes from the Lord who made heavens and earth. His help didn't come from Jerusalem. His help didn't come from the, the peaks of the mountains. No, his help came from beyond Jerusalem, beyond the mountains, came from the Lord. And so I just ask you, where does your help come from? Are you a self-made man? Do you rely upon yourself? Or do you reply upon, rely upon another? Do you look to the Lord for help? Listen, church family, if anything we get from Psalm 121, it would be this, is that you would find your help from the Lord. We are needy people. If you just think about and reflect upon the gospel of Jesus, we need God and we need His help. And we need it bad because we are sinners in our lost estate. We need to resolve our sin problem. Over in Psalm 130, which we'll get at at some point this summer, Psalm 130, verse 3, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? If God would punish us, For all of our sins, we would be in hell and would have no hope. And if God would mark those iniquities, none of us could stand. But the good news is this, verse 3, there is forgiveness with you. All who call upon the name of of Jesus will be saved. Seek forgiveness from the Lord. I'm just calling you, especially your children. Seek forgiveness from Him. Adults constantly seek His grace and His favor at the Foot of the cross. Let's find forgiveness with Him that He may be feared. Right? We need to constantly seek that help. You know, and, and there is a way, I'm just telling you, that we can face our difficulties in such a way that does not turn to the Lord. We can easily look to other things, right? When we're sick, we can go to doctors. When there's a financial crisis, we can look to another job to, to, to fill the void, maybe a better paying job. When the relational difficulties come, we can withdraw into our hole. We have difficult choices to make concerning the future. We can just try to figure it out ourselves. When temptations come, we can just by sheer willpower try to overcome them. And those things will help in the day of trouble. But if you just look to yourself for your own help, it's not going to help. You need to look beyond yourself. You need to look really to the Lord. And my encouragement to you today is, is to look to the Lord. Now, I'm not discouraging you from going to the doctor or looking for a better job or fighting temptation with all your strength. But what I'm saying is that find your ultimate help in the Lord because He can help. He's fully capable of helping. If He made the heaven and the earth, if He spoke the world into existence, certainly He can help us. Whatever trials come your way, and the Lord can be trusted. He is our helper. Well, verses 3-8, through He's also your keeper. Verses 3-8 through basically are promises of God's protection. And over and over again, in these verses, we're just going to see a promise, a promise, a promise, a promise of protection that He will protect us and guard us and keep us. In fact, in many ways, they, they are hyperbole. They're a little bit like Psalm 91. They just speak so high of the promises of protection that they're so vast, they're difficult to believe and embrace. Now, some of these are negative, some are positive, some deal with physical safety, some deal with spiritual safety, but all of them come back to the main point in verse 5. The Lord is 
your keeper. He's your keeper. And we've got to talk about this Hebrew word, shamer, which is this Hebrew word translated keeper. It's one of the first words, verbs, that anybody studying Hebrew learns because it conjugates all perfectly. It doesn't have any imperfections. It doesn't have any exceptions at all. Just simply say it's, it's a, a very early word. It can be translated a bunch of different ways, but they all get the same meaning. It can be translated keep, guard, watch, protect, retain, preserve, refrain, or care for. So you might say, my second point, he is your keeper, he's your guarder, or he's your watcher, or he's your protector, or he's your preserver, or he's the one who cares for you. That's what we're trying to get at with the second point, because that's what this Hebrew word is about. The idea is about God surrounding and protecting and holding someone and never letting them go. As I mentioned earlier, it occurs six times in the psalm, verse 3. He who keeps you will not slumber. Verse 4, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. Verse 7, the Lord will, and as the NAS translates it, right, protect you from all evil. You can just even see there, there's that same word. Um, verse 8, the Lord will guard your going out and your coming in. There it is, the keeper, the protector, the, the guarder. That's what this word means. So where does your help come from? The Lord, help comes from the Lord who keeps us and guards us and protects us. And there's a reason why we can say that my help comes from the Lord. There's a reason why we can say that we look to the Lord. Why? Because of all the particular promises here, verses 3 through 8. So I'm just going to run through them as quick as I know how. First one, verse 3. He will not allow your foot to slip. Now the imagery here is taken from the one walking down a path with stumbling blocks in the way. That's the picture that then we apply metaphorically to our, our lives. But you parents know what I'm talking about. Right? When you have a little child, maybe a toddler just beginning to walk, what do you do? You, you grab the little toddler's hand and as they start walking, you know, and, 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 when, and when they stumble, what, what do you do as a parent? You go, whoop, and make them airborne. And all of a sudden, then they don't stumble any longer, and then you just put them right back down again. And they're walking, and they didn't know that they stumbled at all. And they're, they're stumbling, and you get them airborne a little bit and get them walking again. Well, that's the idea here, is of what God can do. When we stumble, He protects us. He'll not allow our feet to stumble, because He's got His hand holding us. Want to catch what Richard Sibbs said long ago? He said, when a child falleth not... It is not from the mother's holding the child. It is from the mother's holding the child and not from the child holding the mother. So it is with God holding of us, knowing us, embracing of us, and justifying of us that maketh the state firm and not ours. In other words, I mean, that was 16th century English. I kept the English because she was uh, back then. It really, in other words, it doesn't really matter whether our children are holding on to us or not. What matters is whether we are gripping their hand. And when you're gripping their hand, it's impossible for your children to stumble because you won't let go of your grip. And that's what God does for us. Now, this, this imagery is used metaphorically all over the Scripture. But basically it says this, God won't allow you to slip into harming yourself. He holds our hand so we won't slip. Consider these verses. Psalm 66, verse 9. He does not allow our feet to slip. Psalm 94, verse 18, If I should say my foot has slipped, your loving kindness, O Lord, will hold me up. 
So it's God's love and grace that holds us up rather than slipping. The promises are not true of the wicked. These promises of three through eight come to all who've trusted in Christ. They don't come to those who haven't trusted. For those who haven't trusted, he's not keeping you. He's not protecting you. You may well ahead go ahead and slip and stumble. As Deuteronomy 32 verse 35 says, in due time their foot will slip. It was Jonathan Edwards' text for his sermon, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. In due time, their foot will slip. Because why? What's the difference between one who trusts in the Lord and one who doesn't trust in the Lord? It's the one he keeps one and God doesn't keep the other. And the other will slip, but the one who God keeps won't slip. So how important it is to trust, be protected by the Lord and New Testament promise sounds like this. No temptation will overtake you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So, in other words, for for those who trusted in God, uh, yes, temptations are there, but God is not going to allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able so you stumble. He's going to keep you and hold you. How can he do that? Because he's a sovereign God who has complete control over all things in this universe. If he didn't have complete control over all the universe, verses like 1 Corinthians 10, 13, I just read for you, couldn't be true. But he makes sure that no temptation comes upon you, which is too much for you to bear. Now, sometimes it may seem too much to bear. As Asaph said in Psalm 73, my feet came close to stumbling. Right. He saw the prosperity of the wicked and and, and he almost said there's no pangs in their death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. And he said, "I, I might get it. And he almost slipped into where they were. But God brought him to the house of God. And seeing their end brought him back. And God protected him and helped him. Jude 24 is God who is the one who is able to keep you from stumbling. He is able to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless and with great joy. If only you'll trust Him. And church, family, that's where we need to be. We need to be, Psalm 121, we need to be trusting in the Lord, where our help is coming from. Psalm 115, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. There it is. He's your help. He's your shield. So trust in the Lord. Apart from a trust in the Lord, you won't find any help in keeping and protection. Well, let's look at the second half of verse 3. He who keeps you will not slumber. In other words, God's always alert. He's always watchful. Ever looking out for our own good. Contrast that with pagan deities. Maybe you remember the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. One Elijah, hundreds of prophets of Baal. Elijah said this, Let's have a contest between your God and my God. Choose an ox for yourself, cut it up, place it on a wood, but place no fire on it. I'll prepare an ox, lay it on the wood, I will put no fire on it either. Then you call upon the name of your God, and I'll call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, He is God. And so you remember that, that the prophets of Baal set up this, this altar and they began to call upon the name of Baal. 
from morning until noon. Baal, answer us! Oh, Baal, answer us! Answer us! Right? For morning till noon. Maybe that's four hours, maybe six hours, a long time just pleading that Baal would answer them. They leaped about the altar they'd made in seeking to stir up me. They did their, their whatever, Baal war dance or Baal fire dance. Right? They're just trying to get Baal to do something. But no fire came. Not even a spark. And then Elijah mocked them. I love what Elijah says. He said, call out with a, a loud voice. Like maybe he can't hear you. He says, um, for he's a God. Either he is occupied or gone aside. In other words, kids, maybe he's in the bathroom and can't hear you. That's what he's saying. Or, or maybe he's gone on, on a journey or or maybe he's asleep and needs to be awakened. So, so shout out really loud. Maybe you'll wake him up. And of course, that's not true of our God. God will never fall asleep on his watch. He'll never fall asleep at the wheel. And when Elijah just called out, God was right there instantly and gave him fire on the altar. Our God's watch is 24 hours each day, seven days a week, 365 days every year. This truth is just reinforced again in verse 4 with the, the emphatic behold. Whenever you see a behold, it just says, hey, pay attention. Listen, this is our God. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He, he doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. Sleep comes about because of creaturely weakness. But God is above that. He doesn't have to sleep. He knows what's going on all the time. He's the faithful watchman who will not only warn us of impending danger, but will play an active role in keeping us and protecting us. And that's what verse 5 is getting at. The Lord is your keeper. It's the heart of the psalm. It's the middle of these verses, verses 3 through 8. It's the core of the promises that God has given to us. God is our help because God is the one who keeps us and guards us. And church family, I want you to know this by experience. I want you to have your eyes open to say, in what ways has God kept me? In what ways has He protected me? In what ways has He guarded over me? I want you to know God as your helper. I want to just give praise to God for the way that He helped us this past, whatever, two weekends ago when we were on vacation out in Wyoming with picking Chris up from Jacksonville Bible College. Um, before we ever take a long trip, and we're taking a trip out to Wyoming and back, 24-hour drive and back. We always have our mechanic check out a car for just anything that might be wrong. You know, maybe a belt that's cracking. Or I'd rather pay now for a belt than be stuck on the side of a road. My motto is preventive maintenance is far better than roadside service. So our mechanic looked at our van. He fixed the brakes because um, it was making some grinding noises. Even for over a year, I think it was making grinding noise. But he said, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. But this time... He finally fixed them because he thought there might be a problem with them. He placed our ball joints. It's a tune of a, a lot of money, but he fixed those. And now our, our car drives really nicely. And, and then as he was returning our van, he said, you know what? Look at these tires here. Why don't you feel them? And I kind of felt them. And he said, you might want to replace your tires soon. So I think they'll get to Wyoming and back. But we're taking another trip to California this summer to see Yvonne's folks. He said, before you take that trip, why don't you do that? I've talked with him before. And he's, he's recommended Sam's Club. Good place to do tires. If you're in the tire business, I'm sorry for whatever, but Sam's Club is what he said works. If he said that, I'm okay. It's where he gets his tires done, so we do. So anyway, we're uh, on our way home down I-90, pretty familiar road to us. We've often driven this road on the way back from California. It's like the, the third leg of our journey. We camp in uh, Salt Lake City and we camp in 
western western uh, Nebraska, and then we're blitzing home, trying to get home by midnight. So we're normally riding by I-80 right there, about where we were, about you know, 9 o'clock at night or 8, 8.30 or something. We're always trying to go there. And, um, you know, there's been several times we've been down there, and we've, uh, we've, we've turned off and found this Sam's Club. We often had some nice warm pizza after a long day of travel. It's kind of nice after camping for several days, and kind of we, we get home by midnight. Anyway, we're right there on this stretch of road, and Chris was driving and having some problems driving, and I was sleeping, okay, doing my fatherly duty, and, and something, something happened, a tire blew out, and she went over uh, to the side of the road, and this is what happened. And we're on I-80, and that happened. And I'm just telling you, God protected us, and God, God guided us, guarded us. First of all, Crystal was able to keep on the road with a trailer, and she just kept in ground to a ground to a stop. Not a problem. People behind us weren't weren't kind of going. She put on I don't know, putting your brakes fast. No one smashed us from behind, which could happen. Second, we we had roadside service. Came and changed a tire for us. I mean, there's no way I could have done this on my own. The little jack in our car could not have lifted it up high enough. He had to have two jacks, and he kind of worked at it. Furthermore, I don't know how the the tire in the back is is attached. Um, kind of with this cable. I know now, but I didn't know then. I would have been a long time trying to... Roadside service took care of that. Third, the weather was wonderful. It was in the daylight. I mean, you can see this is broad daylight, about 3 o'clock. I think it, it hit. We sat, waited patiently for roadside service. It was windy, but we didn't even need a coat. It wasn't raining. We just sat in the grass, got a few ticks, and waited for help, help to come. That's true, right? All right. Um, the timing couldn't be better. I mean, normally we're on I-90 just blitzing to get home, but we were in no hurry on this day. We are running way ahead of time. We'd stopped in West Branch, Iowa to see the Herbert Hoover Presidential Museum. We stopped there, saw this neat blacksmith, and we're just like, hey, this is kind of nice. We had a, a leisurely picnic there, and um, we had a blowout around 3 o'clock, and the roadside service came. By 5 o'clock, we were on our way, and the location couldn't have been better. I mean, we had our flat tire about half a mile from the exit ramp that we often have taken to go to Sam's Club to get our, our pizza. So right then and there, we just drove. It was, it was less than two miles, probably. We went to Sam's Club. And we're here again, 5 o'clock, kind of roll in there. And they're open till like 8 o'clock. And they took care of all four tires for us and, and fixed it all. Um, by the way, one of the things we learned at the, um, at the blacksmith shop is, uh, you know, he talked about the rim around the spokes. You know what that is called? That's like to tie all the spokes together. That's where we get tires from. I didn't know that. I thought you'd know that. Anyway, that was, that was really cool. But we were, we were like, that's the kind of thing, like, oh, wow, that's kind of cool. We're just taking an easy time. The whole ordeal took about four hours. But it happened on a day when four hours, we could totally do that. I come home. I don't have to take any day to try to figure out when to replace my tires anyway. That just, that just happened. And I'm just saying, this is God guarding us, keeping us, and protected us. I mean, I just thought, if it had happened on our way out to Wyoming, it would have been a totally different matter. When we were out there, the weather was awful. It was rainy and it was cold. Um, mornings of like 40 degrees and rainy, and it was, it was not such nice temperature. Um, we were much more pressed for time. We, had to get, we didn't have four hours leisurely just to kind of spend like we did. We were coming a day home early, didn't have to come back for anything. Um, we had cell phone service here. We're right near Davenport. 
I mean, you can get stuck out there in Wyoming someplace with no cell phone service because there's nothing in Wyoming hardly, Chris, all right? There's like nothing in Wyoming. But God is His hand upon us. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And I long, church family, that you would have opportunities where you see this. Where I've got to do is just open your eyes and see where God is helping and guiding and guarding and protecting you. Because the promise here is the Lord is your keeper. The, the Lord is the shade on your right hand. Second half of verse 5. And that, that's really appropriate for those in Israel ascending Mount Zion to, to worship. The climate of Israel is like Los Angeles. It's a desert. Very hot in the day. Cool at night. And while in a climate, it, it, it's totally different. If you're staying inside air conditioning, it's wonderful. But if you are um, out and about and traveling, it's very difficult. For those of you who've traveled to Israel, perhaps, in the morning you begin, you put water in your, your bottles, you, you bring along a hat, you some sunglasses, put on some sunscreen, because it's going to be brutally hot as you go out there. And then you, you take your air-conditioned bus to a tour site that you see, and then when you get out, it's like, oh, this wall of heat just hits you, and it's scorching hot, and you kind of do what, whatever you can do, and you kind of get back to your hotel finally late at night, and you've about had it. Well, these pilgrims traveling up to Jerusalem, they didn't have air-conditioned buses. It was a difficult time. And, and if you've been to California in that dry heat, there's a huge difference between being in the shade and being in the sun. And here in a... Here in the Midwest, with all the humidity, it, it, it barely makes a difference. It's nice, but the difference in Los Angeles and Israel is a lot different. They would have lifted up their eyes to the hot sun with parched throat in search for waters. body would have beaten down, and the shade would have come as a great blessing to them. You remember when Jonah had finished preaching in Nineveh, he, he departed and found this, this nice place, this spot of shade where he could watch to see what God would do. And even God then appointed a plant and grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. You remember what it says? Jonah was extremely happy about the plant because that's such huge relief. And what this pictures here is just relief from the, from the, the heat of the, the smiting. And you, you might take that metaphorically as well. Just when the, the pressures come and when it's hot, God, God will shelter us. He abides in the shelter of the Almighty. Will, he abides in the shadow of the Almighty. I will abide in his shelter as well. Psalm 91, verse 1. So God has promised to those who trust him. And, and verse 6 is the same. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the, the moon by night. It just shows us that God cares for us. He cares physically for our bodies, whether we're sick or bruised. Think about when the widow had no resources to pay her, credit, pay her creditors. The Lord continued to fill her vessels with oil so that she'd have enough money to pay. Jonah was in the belly of a fish and God heard his cry and saved him from his distress. When Jesus walked the earth, he paid special attention to those who are hurting physically. God cares for us. He doesn't want the sun to smite us. God is our umbrella to shade us. God is our coat to warm us. God is our shelter in the time of storm. God protects us physically. And we even see morally he protects us. Verse 7. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. In other words, God will preserve us and God will, will keep us. This is teaching the, the preservation of the saints. The saints will persevere. Why? Because God preserves. It's not because we're so good at persevering. It's because God is so good at preserving until the final day that He keeps our souls. That's what Jude says. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy. 
To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and power from before all time and now and forever. Right. Jude's talking about God's protection upon us morally from stumbling and to be able to bring us into his presence on that eternal day. when We stand before Christ, perfect and blameless because we've trusted in his perfect sacrifice. Listen, uh, again, the reason we can be confident that our souls will stand before God is because of God's power to keep us. Jesus said this, right? All the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I'll certainly not cast out. Right? There's the keeping verse. He's going to keep us. He's a good shepherd. Jesus said in John 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my the Father's hand. Right? When we are in God's hand, we are safe and secure because He keeps us. 1 Peter 1, 4 and 5 says that we have an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In other words, God keeps our soul through faith and He preserves us and He protects us for that last day. Can you say that my help is in the name of the Lord? Are you trusting in your own strength? Are you trusting in your own works? Prophet Jeremiah said, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength. And, and the reason is simple. If you trust your own strength, you're not trusting the Lord. And if you're not trusting the Lord, He's not keeping you, preserving you. you. You will fall away. So church family, look to the Lord. Seek Him early. Seek Him often. Trust Him. He'll keep your soul. And I love how this psalm ends. Verse 8. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. It matters not whether you're going out. It matters not whether you're coming in. The Lord will guard those who trust Him. It matters not whether it's today or tomorrow or five years from now. The Lord will guard those who look to Him. He never gives up on us. His watchful care will be over all of our lives. Going out and coming in just means all the time, wherever we are. From this time, forth and forever, just, just forever. He didn't like put an expiration date on these promises. Just Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Hebrews 13.6, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? And I just say, church family, trust in the Lord. He, he can help you. He can keep you. He is our helper. He is our keeper. So find your help in Him. Okay. I got one last illustration and then I'm done. It's an illustration of verse 8. It's really an illustration of the whole psalm. Yesterday I received an email from Angie Williams. Who's Angie Williams? You don't know. I don't know. All right. But I received an email from her. And um, here's how I know her. is because shortly after the tornado in Joplin, Missouri, two years ago, I shared her story in a message, put it on the website, and she's like, Searching for a name, probably, and boom, my message comes up, and she reads her testimony she written. I was so encouraged by it. I put that up there, and then she responded to me with an email. And, and her whole story basically is this, of survival through the midst of a tornado. I don't have time to tell this, the whole story this morning, but just to say that, that she was home when the tornado hit, and she and her daughter, two young daughters, I don't know how old they were, I'm guessing maybe like 
one was in kind of a walker, so maybe one and a half and four maybe, I don't know, something, something like that. Little girls, they were crouched down in the hallway of their home as the tornado came right through Joplin and uh, just by God's grace were, were saved. Um, but anyway, she said this. She said, uh, Hi, I wanted to write you to tell you that I appreciated you sharing our 2011 Joplin tornado story in your sermon two years ago. My prayer has always been that I pray someone will come to know the Lord because of our story and how God saved us. We are only alive today because of the grace of God and His protection. He was definitely with us today. There is no other explanation. And then she sent me two pictures. All right? And I just want to show them to you. Now, the first is her house. That's where she was when the, after the tornado went through. And then the next picture, she said, that's, that's the exact spot of where she was. She was right there. And I, I can email you out her story uh, in the Weekly Word. You'll get that. You can read about it. But I just want to share her conclusions, something she wrote two years ago. She said this. So this was two years ago. And, and I forget when the, the tornado hit. It was like... May 15th or 18th or something like that. And so within just a few weeks, she shared her story. And then I saw it and I mentioned it in my message, read her whole story. But she said, thinking back over that night, I can see how God had a hand in keeping us safe. And that's my whole idea, right? God has a hand in keeping us safe. He said this, Trey, that's her husband, called and told me to watch the weather. He normally does not call me while at work. Second, My sister-in-law accidentally texted my mom that there's a tornado warning in Joplin. I don't know how you accidentally text, but maybe it was her rather than... I'm not sure, but... Third, my mom called and told me about tornado warnings just seconds before the sirens went off. Fourth, I got out of the bathtub and stayed in the hallway. I don't know what that means. Probably the bathtub was a bad place in the end. The hallway was better. Five, we just stood up and walked out of the tornado basically untouched. I had a few cuts and bruises, but no big deal. Six, the house surra- houses surrounding my house, which there are five of them, all had at least one wall still standing in their home, and I had none, not a single one. Seven, Adley's dresser was knocked over at a 45-degree angle, holding the outer brick wall up so as to act as a ramp at the exact spot where we were sitting across the hall, which we believe helped things go over our heads. Right over the... I don't know if you can see your dresser there. Probably not. It's probably out someplace. Eight, I believe God put us in the exact spot we needed to be during the tornado. If we were further back, we would have been crushed. If we were further forward, we probably would have been blown away. And she talked about even covering her head with a pillow and her pillow went away because she couldn't like hold it down. The wind was coming so strong and so loud. Uh, Number nine, we can't find our major appliances. But Trey's grandmother's grandma's glass candy dish we got after she died was untouched. Just a little little thing there. You lose those big things, but the, the precious things are real value. You can replace a washer and a dryer. I know I've fixed mine several times these past months. So, Number 10. 
two cars flew into my house on either side of us. They could easily be landed on us. In fact, go back. Rich, can you go back just one slide? Like, you see a car over there. And she said two, so maybe we can't quite see the other one. But these cars could have landed and could have crushed us. And I'll just say this. This is her story. And your story may not be that dramatic. But I'd encourage you to keep your eyes open and look to the Lord for these kind of stories about ways that God guards you and keeps you. And then tell others about it so you can rejoice in the goodness of God. Because the promise here is the Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. Let's pray. Oh Lord, wherever we are, at home or abroad, we are exposed, oh Lord, to more danger than we know of. I pray, oh Lord, that we would place our confidence in You, that we would place our our faith in You to put ourselves under Your protection. May we commit ourselves to Your care. May we do with entire resignation to to You, May we do an entire satisfaction to you. And may we sing and trust in this psalm. God, that you indeed are where our help comes from. God, that all these other things will not smite us. We are immortal until the day that you determine our days are through. And you've written them in your book before there was as one of them, Psalm 139 says. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to rest and trust in you. That we would be a a church body that, that knows of your protection of us. That looks forward to being in the house of God. That realizes our help is from you and that we need your help, O Lord. So be with us, O God, I pray, and help us and cause us to be different. God, because we've trusted you as you revealed yourself in Psalm 121, we give you great glory for these truths. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.